Welcome to Grace New Hope and the teaching ministry of Pastor Randy Rainwater. Today, Daniel is teaching on generosity and the stewardship of our money. Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew 6. Let's listen now. Well, good morning, everybody. It is so good to be with you. You know, any relationship worth having is worth defining. Uh, after dating Anita about a week, she goes, you know, I'm an Indian and we don't just like date. You know, we, we either get married or we say bye. Uh, I said, well, we ain't saying bye. So uh, we're going to define some relationships here today. Um, one relationship that I am very thankful uh, to have defined is being Daniel's dad. Um, and he's going to teach for us this morning. So would you guys open up your Bibles and get ready to go? Here we go. Go get him, boy. All right. How are we feeling today? Good? All right. So today we're going to be discussing everyone's favorite topic. Any guesses? We're talking about money, right? Today's sermon is for the love of money, uh, which I felt like before we get into this, because I know like some of y'all are already like frantic. You're like, what is he going to say? How much money am I going to have to give before I get out of this room? I get it. The exits are right there. I'm kidding. Okay, don't leave you. I just felt like before I really dove into the sermon, I, as a, as a uh, pastor's kid, specifically a youth pastor, I felt like I had to start with a game. Does that feel okay? We'll ease the tension a little bit. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We've got a little bit of trivia music we're going to play. We're going to relax and have some fun answering some questions, okay? I'm going to have Josh and my dad come up here and grab... We got some donuts. We've got a mic handheld. Okay, so here's how this is gonna work. I'm gonna put a question up on the screen. If you know the answer, raise your hand. If you get it right, you get a couple donuts. Sound good? <laughs> no calories. No calories. Yeah. Calorie free donuts today. Okay, let's throw the first question up on the screen. In what book of the Bible does God say money is the root of all evil? We got right here. Oh, no, okay, it doesn't sorry. say it. That is correct. It does not say that. What does it say? The love of money is the root of all evil. Very good. Let's give her a little round of applause. I, I, don't, know if, I don't know if Deb wanted to answer. She was hungry, but either way, you win. All right. <laughs> all right, let's look at question number two. True or false, the Bible teaches we should reward good work with money. Ooh, that's weird, isn't it? What do we got? False. It's actually true. Okay. He gets one donut. He gets a donut. No, no, come Just on. Just one we, donut. We got come 12, on. bro. We only got four you questions. You can't have donuts. Huh? You can't have donuts? All right. Somebody, somebody take his donuts for him. The answer is true in 1 Timothy 5.18 and also Luke 10.7. The scriptures talk about rewarding good work with an honest wage. Number three. Let's pull up number three. This, if you guys get this, I don't even need to teach today, okay? When is the first tithe recorded in scripture? Right over here. We got it right here. Dude, if you get this, I'm so stoked. In Genesis, with uh, Abel. When What's that? The, in Genesis and Abel, uh, when uh, Abel gave him uh, the first of something about the first of the fruits. Okay, I'll give it to you because it's close enough. <laughs> it's Genesis 14. 
Very good. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Genesis 14. That's very impressive, though, that yeah. you know that. Yeah, I just, I, I'm with you. I think he's right, but we'll, okay? <laughs> but, all right, yeah. We'll give it to him. All right, yes, it's Melchizedek. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Okay, number four, last one. True or false, Jesus asked us in the New Testament to give 20% instead of 10. Oh, tough one. <laughs> Nobody wants to be wrong. <laughs> It's a 50-50 right, answer, it. and it's we're clearly... Do I see a hand? Is there a Any hand? hands. Okay, back here. All right, okay. Here we go. Back here, Josh. Nice. Let's go, bro. Come on, Josh. Where'd you go? All right. Oh, we Come got on, two. Josh. I'll tell you what. You tell Who? your parents oh. what it is. Oh, it's oh, it's Timothy. I'll come back to you. If he gets it wrong, you win. All right. <laughs> this is one of our elder's kids, by the way. True. What'd he say? He said True. It's not true. It's oh, actually. But you still get a donut. You still get a donut, bro, because you went okay. for it. Most people in the room didn't want to be wrong in front of everybody. Yeah, give him a round of applause. Give him a round of applause. Okay. So <laughs> let's see what we got. I mean, so he you already... get to answer is it true or false? We already know that true is not correct. <laughs> false. All right, okay. We got a winner. No, it's actually false, and, and we don't have time to unpack all of it today, but Jesus actually talks about giving much more than that. Um, not out of a, a law, but out of principle. And we'll talk about the difference between that in a minute. As I was preparing this sermon, uh, I, I spoke this at Lanier, our Grace Lanier campus. Anybody been to Grace Lanier before, or you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, we've got a campus at Grace Lanier, if you didn't know that. Um, and as I was preparing for it, I was thinking about like, who's, who's excited about hearing about money in church? And I can only think of one person, my Indian grandpa. He's like 87. He's been preaching his whole life. I could hear him in the back of my head. Daniel, the American church does not talk about the tithe, which is why they are succumbing to socialism and universalist thought. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm sorry, Grandpa, if you're watching. I love you. <laughs> the thing is, like, talking about money in church is, like, complicated, isn't it? There's a lot of baggage. For some of you, you've been in church long enough to hear maybe some prosperity gospel promises that didn't come true. Maybe you've heard some fundamentalist stuff shaming you around not giving. Yeah, it's a hard thing. And look, we're going to talk about the practical and the spiritual side of this today. But I want you to wrestle with this tension your money problems are not really about money. They're about worship, okay? So stick with me, all right? Uh, if you don't have a Bible, slip your hand up. We're gonna be in Matthew 6, 19 through 24. I'll give you a minute to turn there. I'm gonna be reading out of the message translation because I think it gives a really great, it kind of feels like you're in the room when Jesus is talking about this. But you can follow along in any translation. It's going to be pretty close to this. And we'll also have it up on the screen. Starting in verse 19, Matthew 6. Don't hoard treasure down here where it gets eaten by moths and corroded by rust or worse, stolen by burglars. Stockpile treasure in heaven where it's safe from moth and rust and burglars. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is is the place you will most want to be and end up being. Verse 22, your eyes are windows 
into your body. If you open your eyes wide in wonder and belief, your body fills up with light. If you live squinty-eyed in greed and distrust, your body is a musty cellar. If you pull the blinds on your windows, what a dark life you'll live. Verse 24, you can't worship two gods at once. Loving one God, you'll end up hating the other. Adoration of one feeds contempt for the other. You can't worship God and money both. Can we say that together? You can't worship God and money both. May God bless reading of his word. It's interesting that oftentimes when Jesus is trying to communicate something to us, he uses metaphor or parable, right? Or answers a question with a question, but not here. He is direct to the point. He's like, I'm gonna make it really clear for you. You can't do this this way. So he answers the question, or he answers the, the question, but what is he skipping over? There's two questions he's actually answering. Here's the first one. What's the key to living free from the love of money? Anybody know what the greatest commandment is? Yeah, that's right. Matthew 22, 37, love the Lord God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. I really believe in order to free yourself from the love of money, you have to love God more than you love money. And that term love gets thrown around a lot today, doesn't it? Man, our culture is so interesting what we consider love. I remember in high school, uh, (laughs) I was in the True North service back when I went to that. We're still doing True North. Isn't that cool? I don't know, 20 years later. Um, And I remember I got two friends who would stand in front of me each week, and we'll call them Jeff and Jessica, because I'm still friends with them. And I love you guys if you're watching. You know who this is. But they would hold hands together during worship, right? Have one hand in the air praising the Lord, the other just looking at each other during worship time. And I remember one week I was behind them and they're standing there, you know, doing their thing, holding hands. We love you, God. And I remember, <laughs> I remember Jeff singing like, I don't remember what the line was, but he was singing to the Lord. And then he looked over, he's like, and I love you, Jessica. I'm like, what? These things can't be equal, right? <laughs> but it's interesting because it can feel that way sometimes. Even churches, man, and no shame if this is like your church startup, but like, I feel like every church startup now, like their slogan is like, love God, love people. Like, okay, that's, that's great. That's a great mission, actually. But what does that actually mean? Be nice to people? Be nice to God, pray to God, serve. What does that term love actually mean? I think Jesus modeled it best for us, didn't he? True love requires what? Sacrifice. Mm. But this opens up another question. How do we know if we love God more than we love money? How do we know if we do that? Oh God, I'm gonna lose you guys right here. Okay. Because I was praying, asking the Lord to give me some other verbiage to say this. <laughs> because he said it to me. And I said, Lord, how to, show me how, how I know this. Here you go. Show me what you spend your money on. And I'll show you what you love. It's true, isn't it? It's not me. Listen to verse 21. The place where your treasure is, is the place you'll most want to be and end up being. Okay, don't worry, I'm gonna throw myself under the bus during the sermon. Hang with me. 
Now, listen, I get it. All of us need like a place to live. We need to care for our kids. We need health care, all that stuff. That's not what we're talking about here. In fact, 1 Timothy 5.8 says, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially members of his household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Woo, okay. So clearly, Jesus is not saying, hey, I need your kids to starve so you can give money. That's not what's saying here. We're talking about the rest. Y'all know what I mean by the rest, right? Can I be honest with you guys? For Katie and I, the two biggest checks we cut every month are rent and our tithe. Why? Because I believe that the principles the Bible teaches us about money actually work. If everything else in scripture works, why do we make an exception for this? And I've done it. I'm about to tell you all about it, how dumb I am. But I'm telling you guys, it's the craziest thing. And I think some of this is, we just don't know what scripture really says about how to steward money God's way. I mean, how many people actually grew up hearing this? This is how God says to steward money. In fact, one of the reasons I started my financial coaching business is because I saw this like big disconnect between the scriptures and the way that God teaches us to steward money and how God's people actually do it. And here's the hilarious thing. Half the people I'm coaching aren't even believers and they're reaping the benefits of the way that God teaches us how to steward money. Isn't that awesome? The word of God goes past our, our little brains. So I wanted to give you some of these principles. There's a lot in scripture, but these three, I genuinely mean this. These three can change your entire life when it comes to your finances. So here we go. Oh, let me, let me give you this first, sorry. I wanna talk about what a principle actually is, okay? So in your notes, this is like the first fill-in. This is just my definition. A principle is a guideline that God gives us to live more in line with heaven while we're on earth. In other words, it's not law-bound. These are ways to live life so that we can more reflect the kingdom here until we get there. Principle number one. <laughs> don't borrow money. This is Proverbs 22, seven in the NIV. It says this, the borrower is slave to the lender. And in Romans 13, eight, Paul calls us to pay off all of our debts so we only owe each other in love. I love that. We only owe each other in love. Now I do wanna clarify something here because I feel like sometimes people get shamed on this stuff. The way that I see scripture communicate this Debt is a wisdom issue, not a sin issue, okay? So having a car payment or credit cards or whatever is not living in sin. It's a wisdom issue, okay? And I don't see anywhere communi communicated in scripture that it, it's counter to that. But the Bible is very clear that carrying debt is not a characteristic of wisdom. And it's spoken about negatively every time it's mentioned in scripture, Okay? This is number two, save and invest. Y'all remember when your grandma said you gotta save for a rainy day? Proverbs 21.20 in the NIV says this, in the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. Somebody raise your hand if you devoured all you had. <laughs> Nobody wants to do it. <laughs> and even beyond our own household, saving creates financial stability for the future generations. If you're at this church, you know that the next generation is what we do here. It's what we're about. It's right outside that wall. 
This is one of those ways where the scriptures give us even more clarity on what that means. Proverbs 13, 22 says this, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. And we don't have time to talk about practically how to do that. I wish I had more time. Maybe if I don't get booed, I'll come back and talk more about how we make this happen in today's economy. But the point is this, that our money has to go further than ourselves. There's a generation past us and our kids' generation past us that we get the opportunity to change everything for if we choose to steward money the way that God asks us to. And if I haven't lost you yet, I'm gonna lose you here. Number three, finally, give 10% of your income back to God. I wanna talk a bit about this because this is very, very misunderstood. I spent 90% of my life misunderstanding this, okay? But notice I said back to God because he gave it to us in the first place, right? Look, I understand, like I had a guy once tell me, well, I go to work every day. I work pool 70, 80 hours a week. Good for you. I appreciate the work ethic. But who do you think put the breath in your lungs to go to work? Who do you think makes your hands squeeze so you can hold a hammer, makes your brain fire so you can think critically? It's the blessing of God through us. So let's not get this twisted, okay? God is the giver. But I wanna take some time to unpack this, okay? Here's a little back, a little back into the tithe. In the Old Testament, the tithe was an obligatory offering from the law of Moses requiring 10% of Israel's first fruits, okay? It was the way that Israel showed that they were grateful for what God provided. And that money went into the Levitical priesthood. It went into festivals and caring for the needy in their community. It was a way to bless the community. And like we said, anybody remember the first tithe recorded in scripture? What did he say? Anybody remember that reference? Genesis 14, 19 through 20. I wanna unpack this because we were close. We were close. Here's what happened. Abraham had just returned from defeating the armies of the four kings rescuing his nephew Lot. Anybody been around long enough to remember the old Lot uh, YouTube clip that was going around? No, I'm not gonna get into it. Um, <laughs> but he comes back, he's reclaimed his possessions, and he's met by a priest of God named Melchizedek. Say it with me, Melchizedek. The priest attributes Abraham's victory to God and he blesses Abraham. This is cool though. In response Abraham gives Melchizedek a tenth of his possessions. That's where this concept of tithing comes from. But here's the big thing. He doesn't do it to invoke God's blessing. He does it in response to God's blessing. You see the clarity here? God knows it's an act of faith for you to give 10% of your income to the kingdom. He does. And I know there are people here who feel like they can't do that and maybe you actually can't yet. And I wish I had more time to, to go through this, but in the New Testament, Jesus gives us even more clarity around what it looks like to give consistently and generously. It's not even about the 10%. The 10% is a principle, right? It's not law-bound. So I'm only gonna speak from my experience here, okay, when we talk about tithing and why we can't tithe. I used to say things like this. I tithe with my time, right? I tithe by serving. I tithe by taking my non-believer friends out to lunch. 
That's not tithing, it's discipleship, right? That's what we're supposed to do as the people of God. <laughs> Let me make it more personal, okay? Let me make it more personal. I'm a car guy. Any car people in this room? Like, I love cars. It's a problem. In fact, this morning, the Lord convicted me. <laughs> this is totally true, okay? I'm waiting for my shower to warm up. I'm on Facebook Market looking at trucks. I mean, like, this is true. I'm a car guy. I got to pray through it. I want to show you a picture of my first car, okay? Can we throw that up? Oh, yeah, baby. That's me at 16 in my IROC Z, baby. Don't worry, I repainted the car so you can't see the emblems now. Anybody a, a baby of the 80s or you grew up in the 80s? You know how iconic this car was? The thing that doesn't match is the brown kid driving it. But uh, I remember I got this at 14. Me and my dad, my dad bought it for me. I don't remember what we paid for it. Not a lot then. $900. It was the biggest piece of junk in the world. <laughs> But we spent, you know, I was 14. I couldn't drive yet. We spent the next few years restoring it together. And that was really fun. Um, and I loved that car. I spent so much money on that car. I put, I'm not going to get into it, but it was, the, it was the worst investment you could ever make, right? Because nobody knows this car is worthless. <laughs> but I've, sit, I've spent so much money on cars, it's stupid. I've had probably, probably 20 cars since I was 14, I'm only 31, so do the math there, okay? I love cars. You get it? In fact, I love it so much that I almost gave up the call God had on my life to take over a business I was working for where I made enough money that I could have bought a Lamborghini and drive around and impress people who don't care about me. That's the truth, right? And we do that in different ways. Maybe it's not cars for you. But when I reflect on that season of life, I came to this hard truth. It wasn't that I didn't have the money to give God. It was that I gave it up before I could give it to him. What do I mean? Anybody know what the average income in America is right now? Yep, 70K, 71K. So let's say after taxes, and this is for household. Let's say after taxes, that's, I don't know, we'll use round numbers, 4,300 a month. Unless you live in California, it's 2,200 a month. I'm kidding, <laughs> I'm kidding. we love you California people. So $430 tithe, right? Anybody know what the average car payment in America is right now? $730. The average, right? The average. Okay. Now, let me be really clear here. I'm not shaming you if that's you. Okay. I have had my fair share of car payments, like a lot of them, right? I've had 20 cars. My challenge is, how easy was it for you to talk yourself into getting on the hook for five, six, seven years paying for this vehicle? But we wrestle so much with giving God just 10% of what he's given us. I mean, really, that's the truth, right? Do you think God needs your money? It says that his house has streets of gold in it. I think he's doing all right. So what's he after here? He's after your heart. God knows, man. He knows the things that sit on the throne of our heart. This is my first point. Don't worry, these are gonna fly quick. I'm almost done. Our financial sacrifice is not about what we receive more of, but who we receive more of. 
Let's look at verse 19 and 20 again. It says this, don't hoard treasure down here where it gets eaten by moths and corroded by rust or worse, stolen by burglars. Stockpile treasure in heaven where it's safe from moth and rust and burglars. So here's the last question I'm asking. How do we not hoard treasure down here? I think we do this by practicing gratitude. Gratitude, I think, is one of the most neglected values in our culture now. I know I wrestled with it for years, not being contempt. And we don't care about how blessed we've been in the past. As soon as the new thing's out, right? What we have's not good enough. Anybody relate to that? I remember when this stinking device came out. <laughs> okay, this is the, the iPhone 13 Pro Max, right? 13 wasn't good enough. I need the metal beveled edges, right? But I remember when this came out, looking at it on Apple's website, they do this so well. They, they make the phone turn just right so the light hits the edges of it. You know what I'm talking about, right? Looks like you're like going to the moon for the first time. I mean, it's amazing. And I remember being so content with this, so excited that it finally saved up enough money to get it. And then the iPhone 14 Pro Max came out. <laughs> right? And it has the dynamic island, okay? If you don't know what that is, it means no longer do your notifications show up here. They show up up here. And you guys know that's critical. It's critical for management, okay? So what changed from the moment this was good enough until it's not? My perspective, right? And here's what I want to say to you. Our contentment is so dependent on our perspective because our perspective paints the picture of our reality. What do you fix your eyes on? What are you thinking about? What are you grateful for? This is point number two. True contentment comes from knowing the value of who you have, not what you have. Y'all ever prayed for something real hard on your knees asking the Lord, God, we need you to provide in this way. Maybe it's healing. Maybe it's finances. I remember praying, God, I just need 500 more bucks a month. A little bit of breathing room, you know? A little tight over here right now. Just, just a little bit, Lord. Just a little bit, Lord. Time goes on. God provides. Whew, that first check hits different. Y'all know what I mean. All right. We're going out to Applebee's tonight. <laughs> Problem is, when God asks for something back. I think about this, Abraham, this story of Abraham and Isaac. It's in Genesis 22. It's the first time that the word worship is mentioned in Scripture. Really early on. The crazy thing is, it had nothing to do with singing, but sacrifice. I'm gonna give you a little bit of the back end here. For years, Abraham and Sarah, if you don't know this story, they prayed for a son, prayed and prayed. Abraham, scripture says Abraham's about 100 years old at the time. And they're praying and praying. Finally, God answers it. God provides Isaac. But then one day, God speaks to Abraham and he says, I need you to sacrifice your son. 
what? Just prayed? Now you're saying, you gave it to me, now you're saying you want it back? This doesn't make any sense. To make things more weird, at that time, in that culture, sacrificing the firstborn son was a normal ritual of the pagan gods. So you have to understand that Abraham's like, what? This doesn't make any sense. But Abraham obeys. So he packs up the camels, gets the yetis full of drinks, puts his son on the back with his servants, and they hit the road. They travel for three days. Three days. Think about that. Knowing in the back of your head, I know what God asked me to do. Man, that's more faith than I have. So they're traveling. Finally, God says, go to this mountain. Abraham says, okay. I'm gonna pick this up in verse six. This is what the scripture says. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, father. Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? (laughs) Isaac's not clueless, right? (laughs) Listen to this, verse eight. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. And we know how this story ends. How could Abraham speak with such confidence that he knew God would provide? because he knows the character of God, right? He knows that God is Jehovah Jireh. He knows that he provides. He knew he was trustworthy. And he knew that when he asked to give something up that carries so much value, he could trust God that he would replace it. Do you think Abraham's relationship with God was the same after that day? Not a chance, right? That kind of interaction, that kind of encounter, not a chance. Abraham experienced God at a deeper level that day because the sacrifice he was asked to give was more than he ever had before. This is my third point. Deep intimacy is built through deep sacrifice. So my invitation to you today is this. What does it look like for you to worship, not just with your singing, but with your sacrifice today? What have you been holding on to so closely that you know God's been pushing on you to give up, but you don't want to do it? Can I just tell you today, you can trust him? I've lived on both sides of this, guys. I've lived on both sides of this. I spent most of my life not giving And now I don't do it that way. And I can just tell you, I could tell you story after story, God will take care of you. Let's throw out the 10%. I'm not even talking about that right now. When God pushes you to do something, can I just tell you, you can trust him. You can trust him. And like I said, maybe it's not even money. Maybe it's something else. I was praying about this last night. I was like, Lord, is there anything you want me to say in closing here that I need to communicate? The only thing God told me was, this is your sign. 
I don't know what that means. Whatever it is you're holding on to, whoever it is in the room, this is, this is your sign that God wants to invite you into deeper intimacy with him. This is the last thing I wanna say. Don't miss out on going deeper with God because you're afraid of letting go of whatever it is that you think is so valuable. It's not compared to him. Let's pray. Father, if I was sitting in the crowd today, five years ago, shoot, three years ago, I would have been thinking about all the ways that the guy communicating this morning was wrong. He doesn't know what he's talking about. My situation's different. Trying to dismiss it. And Father, I just pray today, oh man, I pray today that you would give us enough faith to trust you. I don't even know what that looks like for everyone, but I pray today that you would give them enough faith to trust you, that you're good, that your word does not return void, that you are a provider. So I ask today, Lord, that you would stir up faith in people's hearts. I ask today that you would invite them into deeper intimacy with you and that we would remember that that you're good, that you love us, that you have a hope and a future for us. Thank you for giving your son to us. Thank you for paying the ultimate debt that we carried. We could be with you forever. We love you and we thank you in your name. Amen. Thank you, Daniel. Um, November 2nd, 1942, my dad was on a boat in North Africa that got sunk and was wounded and swam to a wall, being strafed the whole time, captured, put in a camp, escaped, came home to heal and started telling people about Jesus. Because on that boat, as it was sinking, he had said something to God. He said, live or die every moment of the rest of my life, I'll live for you. And he didn't do that as a pastor. He did that as a cop. But on his tombstone is a verse, Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. It, it ends, that verse ends talking about money. There, there's a pledge card uh, in your grace notes. And we've never done a pledge card here. We haven't done it when we've remodeled the building. We didn't do it when we bought the building. But we're gonna do it today. But this is not a pledge card that you're gonna turn in here to us. You see, any relationship that you have is worth defining. And I, I think we live a lot in relationships we don't define. We just slide through things. We, we, we treat friendships that way. We treat, we treat our money that way. We sometimes parent that way. We treat our marriage that way. And my hope today is that you would go home, and if you're married, you would do this as a couple. If you've got kids, you would do this as kids, that you would bring them into this conversation about what do we give to God? 
is this a casual thing or is this something that we do with intention? One of the ways we do that is, is we take communion. We remind ourselves of that relationship. It, it defines that relationship. Communion is the renewal of the baptism. Communion is the renewal of our marriage vows. We're going to do a wedding here this afternoon. It, communion is a renewal of that. It's a reminder. The sacraments are reminders of that relationship. But if you look on your card, there's, there's a number that just really sticks out to me. Because this is the thing that the enemy says to us. You know, don't, don't do anything because what you have won't make a difference. Don't. It's the same thing the enemy says to young ladies in third world countries or near the airport in Atlanta. No one's coming for you. You, you don't really matter. It's the same thing that the enemy whispers into the ears of the kid who isn't the best athlete or isn't the smartest kid in the room. Listen, you won't really amount to much. You don't really need to try. It's the same thing he said to me when I was in classes with people that were so much more brilliant than I was. You, you, you can't do this. You can't pastor. Just look at that card. I want you to look at that number of $10 a week, which is like, Literally, it's one, one drive-through through. It's one meal at a fast food with a drink now. Look at a three-year total over there. That's $1,560 over three years. And you go, well, what difference does $1,560 make? $1,560 is just right dead on on what we pay and it costs us to have a summer intern. Let me just throw some names out to you of who have been summer interns. John Raymond, who pastors Grace Athens. Matt Reynolds, who led our ministries. John Stallsmith, who pastors Grace Snellville. Lee Lopez. Mary Catherine Kelly. Josh Aylmont. Patrick Moran. Define relationships and live in those relationships. Live with a capital L. 